0: Tonight I'm going to begin by asking a question. I do this a lot, I know, but I'm going to ask you a question that I think I would know the answer for everyone in here. I don't think it would be just myself and a couple of others. How many of you tonight would would say at some point in your life you have looked at someone maybe in the distance and thought, man, I'd like to meet them. I'd like to meet them. It'd just be neat if I could meet them. I remember as a kid, you know, being a basketball player, uh, naturally I looked up to professional basketball players and college basketball players. And so there were times that I would see somebody on TV and I just think, how cool would it be if I could meet them? I remember one time, this probably will not mean a thing to you, but Stacy King, he played for the Oklahoma Sooners. He later got drafted by the Chicago Bulls and was on a couple of championship teams, though he was a bench warmer, admittedly, but at least he got the rings. But I remember he was just, he was one of those elite athletes that came through the University of Oklahoma. And I remember we were at Sooner Fashion Mall, and I looked up and there was Stacy King. And he was walking into one of the shoe stores, and I remember just like, wow. That's Stacy King. And I went up to him, and I don't know where I got this piece, piece of paper, just like a scrap piece of paper that I found maybe in a trash can at the mall. I have no idea. But I approached him in the shoe store, the athletic shoe store there in the mall, and I said, could, could I, I get an autograph? And he was so kind. The guy was about 6'11", 7 foot tall, something like that. And, and I hadn't reached my growth spurt yet, so I was just looking at him. And, and he was kind enough to give me the autograph. And, of course, I never said another word to him because I was scared to death. I turned around and I left. But I was just so thrilled I got to meet Stacy King. And even at this stage of life, I still look at certain people, personalities on TV, and I think, you know, it would be interesting to meet someone like that or to meet that person. I think that's kind of a, a normal Thing for those of us who would call or consider ourselves to be normal. I don't know how many of you all have heard the story, but it's said that one time Dick Cheney's grandson uh, said to him, Grandpa, do we know any famous people? Because it's a matter of perspective. Okay, so we who would consider ourselves normal, everyday, average people, there are just certain people out there that we say, "And it'd be neat. It'd be neat to get to meet them. It'd be neat to rub shoulders with them. But at the same time, let me ask you this. How many of us have ever looked at someone and we've thought to ourselves, I'd like to get to know them? Because there's a vast difference between the two, this idea of just meeting them and having this quick encounter with them and and you saying hi and them acknowledging you and saying hi back. There's there's a vast difference between meeting someone and getting to know them. And, and I would be lying if I didn't admit that there have been certain people that I've thought, you know, I think it'd be neat to get to know them. Not just meet them, but really get to know them. Know something about them, them know something about me. I just think that would be neat. Now, here's what we know. If we want to get to know someone and say that they're even somewhat approachable in our minds, then we have to put forth some effort to do that. You understand this? That if there's someone out there that, that you know, kind of intrigues us for whatever reason, and 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 we would say, you know, I mean, it's possible that I could visit with them, speak to them, get to know them a little bit. If that's what we would like to do, then we've got to put forth a little bit of effort. We could not expect that person to put forth all the effort in getting to know us. It's a two-way street. I mean, the Bible talks about friendship and the importance of us being friendly in order to have friends. And I'm amazed at the number of people who don't seem to understand this principle that you can't just sit back and expect everyone else to come to you. Sometimes you've got to go to people and you've got to put forth the effort and you've got to put forth the energy to get to know them and to be a friend to them. All right, and so you look at people out there and and you say, yeah, it'd be neat to meet them and it'd be really cool if I could get to know them, but it's going to take some effort on our part, and here's what I think happens a lot of times. We say things like this, oh, that could never happen oh, that'll never happen. That'll never take place. I mean, good night. They live in a totally different world than I do. And, and I mean, they're, they're, you know the people they run with, it's so different than the people I run with or, or whatever the, the situation may be. But we look at this and we say, it's just not possible. Now, I say that tonight for this reason. We know that for the last several weeks and going through the Sermon on the Mount, Christ has been explaining to the disciples that if you will do these things, you will be blessed with these things, okay? So here are the blessings. Here's what is available to you as a child of God, as a disciple, as a follower of Christ. These things are available to you, but they don't come free and they don't come easy and they don't come cheap. It requires some things on your part. So he began, as we looked at a few weeks ago, in verse number 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The blessing was salvation that came as a result of being poor or humble in spirit. He said in verse number 4 that the blessing and the joy and the gladness comes in being comforted when we mourn over our sin. There is is gladness in being comforted when we remain sensitive to our sin. And on and on it goes. And so last week in verse number 7, Christ made very clear... That a person is blessed with mercy, but only when they have been merciful first. Individuals can receive and be the recipients of compassion and kindness from other people But it has to be said of us first that we have exercised mercy when we saw people going through hard times, when we saw people going through tough situations. And so, again, I want us to understand that there is a blessing and there is a reward and there is a benefit in doing right, but we have to do right. We have to do right in order to receive God's blessings in our life. And again, so many people don't seem to grasp that. They think, well, you know, God will just bless me. No, He will not just bless you. He does not bless just disobedience. He does not bless just the person who ignores Him and disregards His word. No, it requires something on us and of us to enjoy His blessings. And so tonight we're going to look in verse number 8. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to begin by looking at the last part of the verse, the blessing, the joy, and the gladness that comes with obedience. And notice what he says. He says in the last part of verse number 8, Matthew chapter 5, he says, for they shall see God. They shall see God. Now, who is God a reference to? God. God the creator of this universe, the sustainer of this universe, they shall see him, that being God. Now, If the person were to read this and not be in a study environment like we're here tonight or a preaching environment like we're enjoying tonight, they might read this and say, okay, now what exactly does it mean to see God? And I promise you, if you just sent that question out to a thousand different people who called themselves Christians, you'd get a whole bunch of different answers as to what it means to see God. I mean, if you sent it to the right person, you might get some Lulu remark like this. I had a vision one time. I went to heaven and I saw God. And as a result of seeing God, I came back to earth and I I felt inclined to write this book and tell everybody what heaven was like. (laughs) Friends, if someone ever says they had a vision where they went into heaven and they saw God and they came back and they just felt so inclined to write a book on it, they're not being honest. (laughs) Amen. Amen. No real evidence of such a thing taking place in the scripture outside of Paul and his experience. And he wasn't sure if he was in the body or out of the body. But we do know this. Whenever Paul came back from that experience, he did not make it about himself. He made it about the Christ that he saw. Okay? So if you send it out to this person and the Lulu got a hold of the survey, what does it mean to or see God? They might say something, well, I saw the Lord in a vision. And no, you didn't. No, you didn't see the Lord in a vision somebody else may say something like this well you know I believe what Christ is saying is one day we're going to pass from this life and we're going to enter into eternity and the first thing that we'll see is God himself and and listen that is less wrong than the other but I don't think that's what Christ is talking about here I do believe it's true that whenever you and I pass from this life and we enter into eternity I think we'll see God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit I think that is what we'll want to see first I think that is what we'll want to see most I believe that with all my heart, but I don't believe that that's what Christ is talking about now. Why? Because if you look at the flow of the scripture, here's what Christ seems to be doing. He seems to have started with salvation and then working the disciples through their Christian life. And so it would seem kind of odd to begin with blessed are the poor in spirit, then blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, blessed are the merciful, and then say blessed are the pure because you get to see God one day. Oh yeah, now let's get back to the peacemaker part of it and let's talk about your Christian life some more. That doesn't seem to be the natural flow of things. And so what does it mean then when Christ says in verse number eight, for they shall see God, the creator, the sustainer of this universe, the God who did every bit of this, what does it mean to see him? So let's look at a couple of words or a couple of thoughts that define this word see. It means to perceive mentally. To discern or to understand, to have a knowledge of, or to know something. Is that thrilling or what? Now, it may not seem thrilling, but I promise you it is. The word see, among other things, means to perceive something mentally, to discern something, to understand something, to have a knowledge of something, or to know something. Now think about this. You and I have never seen God with our visible eyes. Amen. And you and I are no different than the disciples on that day as Christ was speaking to them. They were blessed to be able to take in with their physical eye Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I understand what we say that Christ was God and God was Christ and you know, He was all God and all men. I understand that. But God the Father, the disciples had not ever seen with their physical eyes. Therefore, the disciples were no different than you and I. But Christ says to the disciples, listen, you can see God. Though you have never seen Him with your eyes, you can perceive mentally who God is. You can perceive mentally who God is. You can discern who God is. You can understand who God is. You can have a knowledge of who God is. And you can know God. You can know God. Why is that so important? For a couple of reasons. It's pretty good to know God. It's like vitally important to know God. But here is what I'm afraid too many Christians either don't see as possible or they don't see as important that you can know God. The God who created this world, the God who created this universe, the God who created everything, the God who allowed you and I to be born into the world, when he did, where he did, how he did, to whom he did, the God who allowed every bit of this to happen, the God who knows that I am just one person among 7-point-something billion people, that God who knows my name, who has my, my, my hair numbered on my head, that God, I can know him. <laughs> so i okay. Uh, It's a big deal, and it's an important deal. That God is not out of reach for me to know, to know personally, to know intimately, to know in a very personal and real manner. I don't have to look at God like I would have at the time as a child looking at NBA stars saying, oh, that will never happen. I don't have to look at God as though I would today, maybe certain leaders or certain individuals that I'd like to say, Man, I'd like to get to know them. I think it'd be interesting. I think it'd be fascinating. Listen, it'll probably never happen with them, but I need to understand tonight that God is not out of reach of me knowing in this life. I can know Him in my mind. I can know Him in my understanding. I can discern God in my life. I can have knowledge of Him, and I can know Him personally. And you can too. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter where you're at in life right now. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you're, if you're educated or uneducated. It does not matter who we are Every one of us have the ability to know God if we want to. But here's the thing. It will not just happen accidentally. It's not going to happen like this. You know, I didn't even mean to, but I'm telling you what, over the years I got to know him. You don't just accidentally get to know God. If I'm going to know God in a real and personal and intimate and, and, and close way, it's going to require effort on my part. And if you're going to know God and who He is in a real and personal and intimate manner throughout not just your, your, your Sunday life, but your daily life, your weekly life, and all throughout life, it will require effort on your part I'm amazed at this and I don't even know why but I'm amazed at the number of people who claim salvation for years and they don't know God and we all listen to this. I mean, I don't mean to interrupt anybody. But know God or, or, or claim to be saved for years. And they don't know him? How is it? How is it possible? But the only thing I could come up with, and again, I don't know when I, why this surprises me, but have you ever known like a married couple? who lived together for years and they don't know each other how is that possible no effort no effort he's over here she's over here they do their things separately every once in a while together But you see people, and that's how they handle their relationships many times in their marriage or other people in their life, and I don't know why it surprises me, but there are still people who call themselves Christians. They've called themselves Christians for years, and they still truly don't know God. Why? It's not because he's out of reach. It's not because he's not attainable. It's not because he doesn't desire for us to know him, but it's because those individuals Do not make the effort to know him in a personal, close, and intimate fashion. So Christ just reminds the disciples, it is possible for you to see God. It is possible for you to know God, but we understand it will require something on your part. The blessing is it is possible, but he says here's what is required of you. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why are they blessed? Because it is those who are blessed or who are pure in heart who are able to see or to know God. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, I think every one of us know what the heart is a reference to, correct? surely you know what the heart is a reference to by now it is a reference to our desires it is a reference to our wants to our dreams to our ambitions to our motives what drives us what motivates us what gets us up in the mornings here is what christ is talking about our spiritual drive our spiritual ambition did you know that we're able to have a spiritual drive and a spiritual ambition? We don't have to be knuckleheads who just kind of wander around with a blank, lost expression on our spiritual lives. Uh. Hey, are you glad to be at church tonight? Uh. Hey, where are you at in your Bible reading? Uh. How's your prayer life? Uh. In our spiritual lives, we can have some ambition. We can have some drive. We can have a passion. We can have something that motivates us. We do not have to be deadheads in our spiritual lives. You and I can have a heart for God. And he says, when the heart is pure, blessed are the pure in heart, For they shall see God. See, in order for a person to be able to see, to get to know the God who created them, who loved them, who loved them so much to send Jesus Christ on this earth, to die on the cross for their sins, when they are driven with a pure heart, they are able to know Him. What does it mean to have a pure heart? It means to have a heart that is free from contamination. To have a heart that is free from contamination. Now, now follow this, please, for just a moment. We understand what contamination is, don't we? It's impurities. I mean, if you've got a gold bar and it's got impurities, it's contaminated. If you've got drinking water that's got an unseen bacteria in it, though it may be unseen, it is still contaminated. And on and on the illustrations can go. You understand what it means for something to be contaminated and and for something to be pure. To be pure is to be free from contamination. So Christ says, for the person whose heart is free from contamination, they will get to see God. They can know God. And so every honest person says, well, then I guess I am out. Because my heart ain't exactly pure. Amen. Amen. I mean, aren't we, like, desperately wicked and deceitful? And on our best days, we're just those filthy rags? I mean, think about it. I mean, our heart. I mean, I don't know about you, but I wrestle with my heart. And if my heart was pure and free from contamination, you know what you'd see? The picture of perfection. Perfection. See, if my heart had no contamination in it, I'd never think about anything I shouldn't think, never say anything I shouldn't say, never do anything I shouldn't do, and on and on and on it goes. Now listen, if Christ were then saying to the disciples, you've got to be perfect in order to know God, then you know what all 12 of his disciples would have said? I guess this is where we check out. Because their hearts were not any more pure than our hearts, just in their natural selves. Does this make sense? Okay, so I'm sitting here as a believer today, standing here, you're sitting, and, and, and hopefully we're listening, and we're saying, okay, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So it is possible to know God, but it's really only possible when a person's heart, what drives them, motivates them, is pure and uncontaminated and, and, and without blemish in it. Well, good night. When I'm honest, I know what my heart is like, so I don't stand a very good chance of getting to know him. Well, here's what we've got to keep in mind, and here's what we've got to remember, that if we have a desire, God is willing to help us cleanse our heart and purify our hearts. Why? So that our motives and our ambitions and our dreams and our spiritual life are pure and what they should be before an almighty, righteous God. See, follow this. There are many people who identify themselves as Christians and they don't really concern themselves with the condition of their heart. <laughs> I know you don't care I'm just I, I thought this was fascinating and then I'm going to share it with you today I was watching football because I like to watch football on Sunday afternoons i, I Colts team okay the indianapolis colts i know one player on on the team that was playing today and and they won and and the the news people we're going to send it to the locker room now the indianapolis colts and it got it just in time to hear the coach use profanity excellent timing broadcaster dude all right just in time to catch the profanity on tv and he's given his little pep pep talk of of post-game speech and he says now one more thing before we pray And you know what I thought to myself? That's modern day religion. The camera catches the locker room smut coming out of his mouth, and then he says one more thing before we pray. Can I just tell you that that guy's not the exception, that there are many people who don't really care at all about the spiritual condition of their heart. If the profanity comes out, yeah, whatever. If the lies come out, yeah, whatever. If the hateful words come out, yeah, whatever. I mean, on and on and on it goes. If the priorities are messed up, whatever. If they're not faithful to the house of God, whatever. I mean, just, it's like nothing really matters to them spiritually. Listen, Christ was not saying to the disciples, your heart must be perfect, but within the heart of the disciple, there had to be a desire for the heart to be right before God. You and I can wake up each day with a heart for God. You and I can wake up in the mornings and say, God, I want to serve you. God, I want to do what's right. You and I can have a a heart that whenever we do sin, whenever we do fail, whenever we miss the mark, that we immediately are pricked by that and we say, God, I'm so sorry for that. Please forgive me. Please help me to do right the next time. You and I can have a heart for God that drives us and motivates us and, and, and gives us this passion to be the people we're supposed to be. And when that happens, the benefit, the blessing, what brings us joy and gladness is I get to know the God who created me, the God who loves me, the God who sent his son to die on the cross for my sins and mine alone. I can know God but it requires effort on my part. Now this evening as we think about this there's something else to give consideration to. He said blessed are the pure in heart, not blessed are the pure in action. Why is that important? You can have right action without a right heart but you cannot have a right heart without right action. Now follow this please. The context in which Christ said these words. The 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 context in which Christ spoke these words to his disciples. There were there were a couple of religious for lack of better words tonight denominations in place, correct? You had the Sadducees and Pharisees and some zealots. Right. But but who is kind of the main group that we're most familiar with? The, the Pharisees in, in this religious world. Now think about this, please. This is the world that the disciples grew up in before Christ came on the scene. This is the religious world that the disciples and their families had grown up in before Christ came on the scene. And so what were they used to? They were used to right action, not right heart. Now now think about this. The Pharisees, we don't know them as idolaters. That's not what we normally think of them as. We don't think of them as drunkards. We don't think of them as adulterers. We don't think of them as murderers. We don't think of them as rapists. We don't think of them as thieves or as liars. But what do we usually think about when we think of the Pharisees? If you're like me, you think about Christ getting on to the Pharisees and reprimanding them. Why? Because they were self-righteous in their own eyes. They vaulted themselves and and they puffed themselves up. And and what did they do? They took pride in all the things that they would do or all the things that they would refrain from doing. And, And listen, as Christ came and he beheld their actions, listen, they did not know the first thing about God. And it's not because their actions were wicked. It's because their heart before God was wicked. Now, I know we know this. I know I've said this many times. I know, I know that we know this. But one of the biggest hang-ups that we seem to face in Christianity today is our actions must reflect my heart. And that is not necessarily true at all times again I know we know this did God call for holiness did God call for righteous living did God did God call for for you and I to to live a particular way of course he did But here is what trips so many of us up in our Christian life when we're getting careless with our Christian life. And that is, like the Pharisees, we look at all the things that we do and we look at all the things that we refrain from. And we say, therefore, based upon these things, my heart must be right with God. And that is not necessarily the case. I have been personally on the outside everything you would want a person to be, and on the inside my heart be so corrupt and so vile and so wicked and so ungodly that there was nothing pure about my heart at all. I have said this, I'm going to say it again, the most backslidden time in all of my Christian life was while attending Bible college. Why? Because it was so easy to go to class, sit through Bible classes, go to chapels, sit through the chapels, listen to the sermons and do everything that you were supposed to do as a Bible college student and then say to yourself, I don't need to read my Bible, I don't need to pray, I mean, I'm just going to church and I'm going to Bible college to learn how to serve the Lord and my heart was so removed from God, it was terrible. And if it could happen then, it can happen now. You could be sitting here this evening, if you're not careful, patting yourself on the back saying, Bless God, I came back to church tonight. Listen, it's a good thing that you did, but it doesn't mean that your heart is right just because you came to church tonight. And you can sit here this evening and you say, I have every intentions of being here Wednesday night, and I'm going to be in my place Wednesday night, and that's a wonderful thing. But just because you're at church on a Wednesday night doesn't mean that your heart is right with God. And you can say, well, I'm going to get up in the morning, and I'm going to spend time in prayer with the Lord, and I'm going to spend time in His Word before my day starts, and that's good and that's wonderful. But you can do that and your heart, not be right with God. I've been in church all my life. My parents brought me, and ever since, you know, I became an adult. I've stayed in church, and I've, I've been faithful to church, and I sing in the choir, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this. And I do this and my heart must be right with God. No. No. You and I can be so pharisaical in our spiritual lives And if all it is is part of a ritual, if all it is is a part of our routine, if all it is is a part of our religious activity, then our heart is not pure. And if the heart is not pure, then guess what? We don't know who God is because God is not just concerned with who we are on the outside. God is concerned with the heart. So he says to the disciples, listen, you can see God, you can know him, you can understand him, you can have a close and intimate and personal relationship with him, but it will only happen when your heart, what drives you spiritually, what motivates you spiritually, what, 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 what wakes you up in the morning and turns your crank, when that is pure, that's when you truly know God. I don't know how often this would be the case. I don't know how true it would be the case. I don't, know. I, don't know how, I don't know how often it would be true. But many times, some of the most godly people we will ever meet are the ones who would be the most unassuming in their Christian life. Because their goal is not To let everyone know just how godly they are. Does this make sense? Some of the people who know God the most, they're just steady, steady, steady folks. Why? Because they're not all wrapped up about their works in and of themselves, that being the works. They just want to do right. They just want to do right. They just want to be right. They just want to be right before God. And it's because of that heart that you find out at different times in their life, man, the godliness that came from that person is astounding. Why? Because they know God. Wow, the wisdom that just came from them, (laughs) I, I wouldn't have ever dreamed it. How did such wisdom come from them? Because they know God. Why? Because they had a heart for God. They wanted to know Him, and they were willing to put forth the effort to know Him. And whenever they had the pure heart, the Lord said, the Bible says, the blessing then is this, you get to know Him. Only you and only I can know our hearts. And even at that, we need help from the Holy Spirit to show us truly what kind of condition our heart is in. You know why you're here each week. You know why you do what you do. You know who you are away from this church. You know the person you are at work with your family, whatever it is. Only you really know your heart. What we ought to ask ourselves tonight is this, is my heart pure before God? Not am I perfect, but is my heart pure And the motives of my heart, what I desire? Is it what it's supposed to be, or do I find so many times in my daily life, you know, I really don't even think about that stuff. I don't concern myself with that. I don't care about that kind of stuff. We ought to because that is the only way we can truly ever know God. And if you and I would say, man, I'd like to know, oh, so-and-so, how much more as a believer should we desire to know God? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray that you'd help every one of us, young and old, to take just a moment this evening and ask ourselves with your help, what kind of conditions?